Good morning, everyone. I have some good news. This week, on August 8th, which is Thursday, Oasis will celebrate its fifth anniversary of being a church. So we're kind of excited about that. Uh, We're going to celebrate our five years in September when everybody comes back from vacation. And we're going to do this kind of a, I don't know what we're really going to do because I'm not in charge of it. But it's going to be something. It's going to be some food. It's going to be maybe an outside the walls thing. And so we're just going to celebrate what God has been doing here with us uh, for the last five years. We started out in a living room, moved to the grunge. And then, you know, we got, God gave us this place. So I'm very grateful uh, for all of you. And I'm very grateful for what the Lord has done here among, among his people. Uh, at Oasis. So without further ado, I'm going to pray and we'll get going. God, I want to thank you for grace and mercy. I want to thank you for answered prayer that you would put your hands uh, on a young, a young, a young man, a young child, and that, uh, that you would heal Lord and that you would get the glory for that healing. God, I pray that this morning you would speak to us from your word, that you would speak to us about who you are from the life of David and that it would, it would resonate in the hearts and the souls of your people. That we all come into this place in a different place. We come into this room. Uh, some are on the mountaintop. Some are coming down. Some are going up. And some are in the valley, Lord. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to the hearts and souls of your people here this morning. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. My rock and my redeemer. Amen. So let me set this up for you because there's a lot going on in Samuel, 1 Samuel, and the story of David. That's where you'll find a lot of the story of David. Uh, We're not going to read a lot of it, but I'm going to kind of set things in motion. Uh, Last time we got together, I want to thank Dave Miners for preaching last week and Carissa, who's not here, but but we found her on Craigslist. You can actually find good people on Craigslist. Uh, She she came and she led worship for us. before the, the week before, we talked about David and we talked about his story. And he's coming off a big win. He's just beaten Goliath. He runs out there with a slingshot and a rock, thumps the guy in the head, then continues to run out and cuts his head off with a sword. All right, he's a boy and he cuts the giant's head off with a sword. And you thought video games created violence in young people. You see, it, it, we've been violent ever since we've been human. And so, but, but, but David gets out there and see, he wasn't focused on the giant. He wasn't focused on, on the Philistine army. He wasn't even focused on what he had to do. What he was focused on was God. And he knew that the battle belonged to the Lord. And so he goes out to fight this giant authentic to who he is. Even though people tried to help him along and they gave him good advice and the king gave him his armor. Here, wear this. And David's like, I can't go out in this. I'm not, I'm not used to this. And David goes out there authentic to who he is. And the Lord delivers Goliath into his hands. And I got to imagine people are like impressed. Because even the king's like, who is this kid? And so there's a buzz going on in all of Israel about this boy who has just slain the giant. Now, as we continue in the story, Saul's son, Jonathan, becomes friends with David. 
And the text tells us, the story tells us that that became so close, they became one in spirit. I guess if we would define that today, they became BFFs. They, they were very close and they had this deepening, intimate friendship. They were, they were connected. But on the other side of the coin, King Saul is slowly becoming fearful of David and he's starting to hate David. And so he finds himself in a very interesting set of uh, interesting um, situation. He's got the king's son who they're becoming friends. I mean, intimately deep friendships that's going on. And the king's son or the king is starting to hate David. Remember the song that King Saul began, uh, started to get jealous over that David has killed his ten thousands and Saul has killed his thousands. And Saul be- begins to get jealous because he sees that the, the spirit of the Lord is on David. And David is beginning to walk in this anointing that that he has received from Samuel that God has given him. And so the king, the king wants him dead. And Jonathan loves him. They've become one in spirit. See, Saul is gunning for David. He sets up this little plan. I'll make him my son-in-law. But in order for him to be my son-in-law, he's got to go out and fight the Philistines. And David says, well, you know, to to me, I can't be, I'm just a peasant. I can't be your son-in-law, but I'm going to go out and fight the Philistines. Saul thinks, well, maybe he'll die. And so he sends him out and David doesn't die. David wins. And then Saul's second daughter is in love with David. And Saul thinks, I'm going to make him a son-in-law. And so Saul says to him, okay, all you need to do is bring me back 100 Philistine foreskins, which... That's just a little twisted. Okay, because there's, there's a certain procedure that needs to take place to extract said body parts. It's not like a dog tag. But Saul think, seems to think that, man, a, a hundred guys, one of them has to take David out. And to his chagrin, it doesn't quite happen that way. David, again being a little twisted, brings back 200. There was this scene where Saul tries to pin him to the wall. With a spear, swinging a miss again. There's a hit squad that he sends to David's house. And there's a little plan that him and his wife pull off. David can't be killed by Saul. But that just increases Saul's desire for him to die. And Jonathan, Saul's son, just cannot believe the cruelty of his father. He can't believe that this is really happening. He can't believe that his dad would want David dead. And so David and Jonathan, they come up with a plan. And the the way the plan is going to play out will give them the definitive answer they've been looking for. Is King Saul trying to hunt David down or is it just David's imagination? And unfortunately or fortunately, it depends how you look at the story, David is right. King Saul wants him dead. And he and Jonathan are just broken hearted over it. Because remember, they're, they're BFFs. And so they enter into a covenant of friendship. And, and covenants were a big deal back in those days. I think we take them very lightly now. But a covenant is, is, is a big deal back then. And so they make this covenant of friendship. We're always going to be Facebook friends. We're never going to just unfriend each other. I'll follow you on Twitter. You follow me on Twitter. But David has to leave. And so David runs. David leaves his friendship. He doesn't pack. He doesn't tell anybody. He just hightails it out there. Because the king wants him dead. 
and how far King Saul has fallen. And so now we're going to pick up the story in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read it from here. And you can follow along. David went to Nob, Ahimelech the priests. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priests, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of presence that had been removed from before the Lord and taken and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was in there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg, the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, Don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. And that day, David fled from Saul. And so this is the story of David. He's on the run. Tail between his legs, hightailing it out of town. And it just kind of seems hopeless for this, this boy king who is yet to rule as king. I mean, he's not even serving in the courts of the king anymore. And he runs to a city called Nob. And there he finds a priest. And a priest would have been in a, in a sanctuary. And so David runs to a sanctuary. And, the, and, and a sanctuary is a, is a holy place. It's a sacred place. It's a place where, where God is supposed to be present. That the presence of God would be there. And it's not holy because of the shape or its size. It's not holy because of its location. It's holy because of the presence of the Lord. We believe that a sanctuary is holy because God is present in it. That's what makes it holy. And the priest, Ahimelech, his job is to maintain this sense of holiness. His job is to point people in the direction of God when they come into this place. His job is to make sure that he fulfills the rituals and the traditions that God set forth before his people. To, to praise him and to worship him and to focus them, to remind them who he is. That's Ahimelech's job. He is to keep the sanctuary holy. Now the word holy in the Hebrew is the word kadosh. Say kadosh. Your job is to use that word three times today in the original Hebrew. I challenge you. And next week we're going to take a poll and see who did. Or 
who got eggs thrown at him. But anyway, so, so the Hebrew word is kadosh, and it means to, to separate. It means um, this idea of otherness, to, to, put, to stand aside. It has this meaning that there's something special about it. Kadosh, otherness, separateness. We use it all the time in church. God is holy. The sanctuary is holy. God's people are holy. The scriptures are holy. That song was, was holy. And it's holy only because God is in it. In and of itself, it's not. But those things are holy because of the presence of God. Because he is holy. God is separate. God is other. And the depth depths of that holiness is something we will never fully comprehend because we can't fully comprehend God. We can't fully get our minds around how deep the holiness of the Lord really is. I mean, we try. It's just part of our human nature. It's part of our human bent. We want to try to understand. And so we take all of our experiences, whether they be good and bad, and we factor in you know, our own feelings, and kind of we look through the lens of who we were and, and where we're going, and then we, we, we try to take our interpretations, and we kind of mix it all up, and we make this conclusion of who God is. And then we project that conclusion onto God and we say, we now have defined who the Lord is. This is who I believe him to be. And then you got the wicked smart people who will just be theologians and they'll study the scriptures and they'll study the language and they'll study the Hebrew and they'll study the Greek and they'll study the history. And they gather all of this information and and they look through the same lens of experience and feelings and emotions and then they define who God is. But because they're wicked smart, they can argue with other people who disagree with them. And so we have these arguments of who God is, the character of God, and it has divided and split the church over and over and over and over again. And I wonder, I have to wonder if God is up there, if he's really frustrated with us or he just laughs like stupid. But I digress. I believe with all my heart that because... God is holy. That he's always going to remain somewhat of a mystery to us. And that's, that's the beauty of the Lord. I mean, if I could figure out God, he, would, he wouldn't be God anymore. And I'd be worshiping with something else. You can't define God by our experiences or just our observations or by reading a book. I mean, in my experience... I have come to places in my life where I, I really believe that the Lord is acting in a very irrational way. I, I really believe that some, like he lost a bolt up here or he's just, he's not hearing me. I've been praying this way and he does this. And so I, I, in my experience, some God, sometimes God seems irrational, illogical. And I, and I know I can't be the only person here that's ever experienced that. that, that they, 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 have you ever just sat down at the end of the day and go, what are you thinking? What are you doing? And then you get nothing. And you go along your way. I mean, that's my experience with the Lord at times. And I'm sure we've all shared that. See, we don't get to, we don't get to predict God. 
We don't get to control God. He's, he's, he's other. He's separate. He's holy. I mean, at best, I would say that we can come to him. We should come to him. Our posture should be coming before the Lord in fear and trembling. And I know in Christian world, we don't, we don't like to use the word fear we, we, because we say, well, it's not like being afraid fear. It's, it's, about, it's about being reverent and, and, and holding the Lord in awe. Like when you, when you walk to God, all you hear is, oh, because you're in awe of the Lord. And that's, and that's true. We have a loving, loving God who loves us so much that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. That's how much God loves us. But I think, I think Toby Mac ruined it when he said, Jesus is my homeboy. He's not your homeboy. He's God. And I think there should be a little healthy fear before the Lord. Not, oh my God, God's going to kill me. But, oh my God, he can if he really wanted. We don't like to talk about the wrath of the Lord. But some people will experience it. And that's just the truth of the matter. And a healthy fear of the Lord is okay. Like, oh my gosh, he could kill me. That kind of fear. Ethan and I, we've been... (laughs) He's been up late in the summertime, and so we've been watching this series on TV. You ever see? It's called Beyond Scared Straight. And what it is, uh, it's, it's these kids, kids are like 13 to 16, and they're, they're punks. I mean, I mean I, that's a nice way to describe them. I mean, I was a punk too, but, you know, through the Lord's grace, I'm an adult punk. But these, these kids, they're, they're punks, and, and you know, they're, they're doing drugs, they're, they're gangbanging, they're skipping school, they're fighting, they're stealing, they're breaking. I mean, like stealing cars. They can't even drive yet, and they're stealing cars. And the episode we were watching, these kids were just like beyond disrespectful to their parents. Like swearing, calling their mother names that you don't call your mom. Physically abusive. Like... Hey, Joey, go clean up the room. Shut up, Dad. And this big sneaker would come flying and hit the father in anger. He'd be like, oh, come on. Why are you getting so upset? I want to punch the father, first of all. One kid pins his mother down on the ground and beats her. This is a 14-year-old kid pinning his mother down on the ground and beating her. So Ethan and I, it's late. He's all cuddled up on the couch. We're watching this. He goes, Dad, if I ever got that way, would you send me to that? And, and, And... I lovingly looked at my son as he was cuddled there on the couch. The glow of the TV. He's angelic at that point. And I said, no, Ethan, I, I, would, I would never send you there. Because I would have beaten you long before <laughs> that ever happens. Yeah, and, and, he, and he looked at me like, <laughs> and I just smiled at him. He goes, yeah, well, you'd go to jail. You're right. Right after I beat you. And the conversation ended really quick. And we went on to something else. I love my children. And I think they know that I love them. And and most days, they love me too. And and we have a good relationship, a family dynamic. I know there's no perfect parents, but I'm as close as you're going to find to get there. And, And I'm not that weenie pastor dad who puts all their rules on their kids to make them look good for you. Because really, I really don't care what you think about my family or my children. I mean, a little bit, but not a lot. But you beat your mother, it's not going to end well. 
And so a little healthy fear of dad is a good thing. Now, when Megan brings her first boyfriend home, that's a whole nother fear that's getting laid down. And you can pray for her and or him because it's just not going to begin well for him. Because my, my approach to him is, I don't like you. You earn my like. And th- he starts off in the pit. I digress. So let's go. Where am I? So, da- so David, <laughs> we're talking about David. David is now on this journey of holiness because of what God is doing in his life. And he runs. He runs to, he runs to a sanctuary. He runs to a priest. He's anointed. He's been called. But now he's being hunted. And the king hates him. And the king is trying to to hunt him down and kill him. And in the sanctuary that David goes to, that day, he finds the sacred. And he finds holiness. But not in the way you would normally think. Not in the way that we like to to, uh, define. See, the sanctuary is a place where we can focus on God. Where a place where the truth of God is proclaimed, a place where we worship and we pray and we remember the things that God has done and the things that God has doing. We pray to him for the things that he will do. But David comes in a whole different posture. He comes in desperate, desperate for his life. He's running from, for his life, not his spiritual life, not his emotional life, for his physical life. He wants to save his neck. Somebody wants him dead, but yet he's, he still needs something that's a little bit beyond saving physically. You see, this, this young man is in trouble. His anointing, his calling seems to be falling apart around him. And he, and he doesn't know. He's confused. He, he's asking Jonathan before he left, like, what have I done? What have I done to the king? I've done nothing but serve him and serve him well. And so his, his anointing seems to be falling apart around him. And what he really needs is somebody to remind him who he is. God's chosen. God's anointed. Just like we all do. Every once in a while, we all need that reminder of our calling, of our anointing, of who we are in Christ, of why we're doing this and why we're serving in that way. And so David freaked out. And he comes into the sanctuary freaked out, which freaks out Ahimelech. He's, he's like, whoa, Dave, uh, what, um, like, what's going on, man? Because that's not the way you enter sanctuary. You enter in with reverence. You enter into the sanctuary in quietness. We don't let children run around the sanctuary playing tag and shooting dart guns. The presence of God is here. That's not the way you come in. You come in quiet. You come in reverent. You, you leave your junk at the door. You leave your problems out there. This is the sanctuary. There's a certain posture that we're supposed to come in. David doesn't come in that way. And Ahimelech is freaked out. He's like, well, what, what's going on? And, and this, this anointed, called, young man of God, war hero, how does he answer? He lies. He says, Ahim, don't worry about it, dude. It's all good. I'm on the king's business. I need some food. I need a weapon. David lies. <laughs> you know, I think it's very funny that we really do expect people 
to, to walk into church, to walk into the sanctuary of the Lord, reverent and reserved and, and to know all the, all the rules. And, and I, wonder, I wonder if it was us. I wonder if, if somebody walked into these doors in need of saving their life. They walked in and they, they just smelled of, of stale booze and they were, they were unwashed and unkempt and, and they, were just, they were just dirty and maybe they would stink a little bit. I wonder how we would respond to that. As a church, I wonder, would we get all freaked out? Would we get nervous? Would we be taken aback a little bit? Like, whoa, what's, oh, whoa, whoa. I think for some, absolutely. I think for some of us, we'd be like, whoa, what, what, what's, what's, what's this all about? Not like freaked out where, you know, dude, you got to leave freaked out. But, you know, honey, don't go over there. That's, that's, he smells. And you will keep your children away. That kind of freaked out. It's not used to what, it's not, we're not used to seeing that. This is Cheshire. We have very high class drunks here. <laughs> we're not used to seeing people in need of their life changed. And we would never walk into the sanctuary that way. You know why? Because we're Christian and we've learned how to hide and mask what's really going on inside us. We've learned that we need to check that at the door. We've learned that there's a proper way to enter in to the sanctuary. And so everybody should know that, not just us. And see, the sad part of this story is that there are broken, distressed people that are, that are in danger of losing their lives and they enter into a holy sanctuary where the presence of God is. And in the midst of their life coming unglued, you lie. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. And you lied. You've come into the presence of the Lord. And you lie. You see, we're all David. David's story is a hard story. His actions, they're, they're not actions that, that they're supposed to inspire us to be like him, that we want to model him. But yet his actions are imitated every single Sunday morning in churches across the world. In the story of David, we find a person who does it just as badly as we do. Just as poorly as we do. And we don't we don't read his story to define, redefine our morality. We read his story to realize that this is life. This is humanity. Some, we, we, we've been called, we have been anointed, and we serve, and we try. We try our best. And sometimes in our trying our best and serving our best, it goes wrong. And it goes bad. And things fall apart around us. And sometimes you're even hated and then we run, and we run into the, into the holiness of a sanctuary, and we lie. I will guarantee, okay, don't bet me on this, but I'm close to guaranteeing, that someone in here this morning was asked, how are you doing, and said, I'm doing good, and they're not. Don't worry, you're not alone. Because we've all done it, including me. I'm a pastor, I've got it all together. Look, 
ta-da. But here's what I really want you to see in this story. David, this anointed man of God, called to be king, runs to a place where God can be found. And he, he runs in, and yes, he does lie. He does lie about some of the particulars, but he doesn't lie about everything. He is open and he is honest with what he needs. He lies about why he needs it, but he's open and he's honest about what he needs. He says, I need food and I need a weapon. And in the midst of that deceptive honesty, David finds grace and David finds God's mercy and he gets what he needs. He asks and then he receives. You see, the sanctuary is not just a place where we can focus on God and remember him and pray to him and worship him and and a place where we hear the truth, but the sanctuary is a place where we can receive bread and a sword. And how many times through the scriptures do we see God's word described as bread and a sword? Jesus was the word. The word became flesh. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And David, that's exactly what David needs that day. He needs to preserve his life. And the word of God is a double-edged sword. When you're pushed to your limits, when you, when you just can't, when you can't do it anymore, man, when you're just, you're just running out of life, and it's just not working out, and you just want to throw your hands up, and you just, you just want to call it quits when you're traveling this journey with, with less, than, less than you need just to barely survive, when you, when you have no more food, when you have no, no more fight left in you, you have nothing to fight with, you run to a holy place, a sanctuary where God is present. And if you would be honest about what you need, in the context of the priesthood of believers, priests that are willing to live their life not by the letter of the law, but by the spirit of the law. In that place, you can find life. And you can be equipped for the journey. And you might not leave 100%, but you can leave at least moving in a better direction than when you walked in in the first place. You enter it in troubled, you enter it in, you enter in weak, messed up, broken. And if you would just allow yourself to open up before the Lord and be, and be honest, you can leave strengthened. See, the sanctuary is a place where we realize that there's something bigger than us, something more than we can just see, something more than we can touch, that we're part of something that's much bigger. For the last five years of our church, when we when we launched this thing, because we used launch and not start, right? We crossed that over last week, but anyway. Yeah, okay. So, uh, I forgot my train of thought. Rabbit trails are terrible. The last five years, I've been saying this over and over again, that I always want us to be a place where it's okay not to be okay. 
But I would venture to believe that some people, even here, are still fearful about not being okay, and they put on the mask. People don't like to express their needs and their hurts. They don't like to share brokenness. They don't like to share the fact that they need healing. But see, in order for that to happen, and I believe it can happen, in order for that to happen, we need to be a community, a priesthood of believers that will live by the Holy Spirit. Not by the letter of some law, but by the spirit of what Jesus teaches us. A priesthood of believers that are living with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. Remember what Christ said. Come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, and I will give you rest. Learn from me the unforced rhythms of grace. If you have the Spirit of the Lord living in you, you can live by the Spirit. Ahimelech gave David the priest, uh, uh, David, the, 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 the bread of presence. The bread was only to be eaten by priests. That's it. That was in the law. But he gave it to David because David was in need. And he gave him this national treasure, this sword of Goliath. It was all tucked away and it was, it was there for people to come look at and, and to go, oh yeah, that's, that's the sword of Goliath. And Ahimelech gives it to David because David was in need. David got what he needed. And the reverent and the quietness of the sanctuary, that day, David found more than food and a sword. David found God's grace and his mercy in the midst of his doubts, in the midst of his fears, and in the midst of his sin, David finds God's grace and his mercy. You know, we find holiness in a lot of other places besides God because God is just everywhere. We find holiness in a certain place. I mean, if you ever, if you ever, if, if you like the outdoors or hiking, man, you just get to that place and you just sense the presence of the Lord or in a certain song or in, or in some, some book that you've read or in a friendship or in a relationship. But we also find holiness in men and women who have the spirit of the living God living within them. And because you have the spirit of the, of the living God in you, you now have become a sanctuary where people can run to find refuge. You can meet needs. You can encourage. You can equip. You can bring the healing of the Lord Jesus Christ into a person's life. This is what takes place in a sanctuary. In the gathering of the priests. The gathering of the saints. We become a community of healing. We become a community of the power of the Spirit alive and well and working. We come, become a community that equips and gives of itself. As David received, we too can give so people can receive. That's the character of God. It's the nature of God. And I believe people will come. And people will come who are not okay. And when they get here, they'll know that it's okay that they're not okay. And then they'll open themselves up to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive from him the healing that, that the people of God introduce them to. Come alongside them and help them figure it all out. 
all of their needs will be supplied through the riches of Jesus Christ. And see, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what this table is about. Healing. Wholeness. Being equipped. Being encouraged. Being broken and still having God say, I love you even in your brokenness. Even in your sin, I love you and I want the best for you. This is what the table is. And this is what I want you all to think about when you come this morning. That we're all David. We've all lied in church. In church, shame on you. But yet, even in the midst of our lie, God is gracious. God is loving. My prayer is that you will enter into the holy place of God, the sanctuary, the church. Not fearful for being broken. Not fearful in need of help. But you would enter in openly and honestly. And allow the priests, the priesthood of believers to minister to you. And give you the things that you may need for the journey. I love you guys more than you know. I'll see you next week.